When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the Thursday Club. And on today's show, we will slap you back into Fulham mode as the men in black and white are aiming to finish the job as we head towards the summertime and make sure this August is not one to forget back in the Premier League. So just sit right there because today we'll be unentangling all the international action, keeping the jokes tasteful about our wild, wild West London rivals and probably offering a written apology for some of the This Will Catch On submissions later in the show. And dancing the jig on the podcast today, it's the brand new funk of Fulham journalism, Peter Rutzler. Hey, hello, how we doing? Good, thank you. And he spent the international break watching every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican, Cuban and Asian. It's Jack Collins. Very good, touche. Hello listeners, hello Sammy, well done mate, very good. Thank you. Uh, I'm very excited. Eight games for Fulham in April. Club football is back with a bang and Jack, it all starts this Saturday at Loftus Road or the Cayenne Prince Foundation Stadium against QPR. A big attendance promised. How excited are you for this one? Yeah, I love playing QPR, man. It's, like, it's one of those games that you look forward to, isn't it? Because normally we win. So it, it's easy enough in, in that regard because you, you look at it and think, OK, how do how do Fulham come out of a funk? And obviously off the last international break when Fulham went into it in a bit of a slide, came back and, and battered Rangers. So, you know, there's the lads from down the road have uh, proved uh, fun opposition for Fulham over the last few couple of years. And, and look, this is a massive, massive month, as we say. Um, now, whatever happens uh, on, on Saturday and whatever happens, we, we think that this is going to be a month at some point which is going to, you know, beckon celebrations on, which is going to uh, be the confirmation of, of that promotion. And yeah, I can't wait for it. I'm excited for club football to be back. I love international football more than anything, you know this, but I'm also ex- incredibly excited for club football to be back. Uh, Peter, two and a half weeks off for Fulham. You'll be back into the swing of things, travelling the length and breadth of the country as the Whites uh, still have a lot of uh, away matches to come. Not on Saturday, hopefully. No, just the length and breadth of West London uh, on Saturday. Peter, have the Athletic been keeping you on your toes despite the uh, the long break for Fulham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no rest, no rest. Plenty to get stuck into, not least today with the accounts dropping just before the pod so um yeah no that's it's been good it's been good lots to lots to get stuck into given on the internationals not to the same extent as as jack has been doing but um probably with a little bit more focus though to be fair mine has been scattergun yeah yeah that that is true um yeah got the weekend off though that was nice you know lovely weather wasn't it last weekend mm. um uh so yeah not all in all very good all very good I'm very looking forward to getting back in the swing of things and um jumping on this eight games in for four weeks, which should be a lot of fun. Right, well, we'll do some of the account stuff in a second. But first of all, let's look back at the international break uh, for some key Fulham players. And since we last did a pod, Jack, um, the Welsh boys, Harry Wilson, Nico Williams, won a massive game in Cardiff last Thursday, 2-1 against Austria. They both played the full 90 minutes. Interesting to see Nico Williams on the left-hand side of mm. the defence. He has played there before for Wales, but it's it felt a little bit... Oh, I felt like the TV was the wrong way round or something when I first saw it. Then I realised, no, no, he definitely just is playing left back. Uh, Harry Wilson got a brilliant assist, um, getting <laughs> bundled over for a free kick that Gareth Bale absolutely swazzled in. Um, but yeah, a, a good win uh, for those boys and plenty of recovery time as well because they didn't play in the friendly this week. Yeah, I thought they were excellent. Nico Williams has played there quite a lot for, for Wales. I think his last four or five starts have come at left back, so or a left wing back, I suppose, in, in a five. It's a slightly different role, but it's nice to see him in, in a role that allows him to to get forward. He had a, had a good little battle 
over on that side with with Comrade Limer and and Stefan Leiner. And I, I thought it was a an interesting one to as they kind of went forward and, and, and Austria tried to get some joy. They didn't get much down that side. Um, ben Davis played really well as well. I thought so. Th- there was that. Um, Harry Wilson released some lovely balls into space, um, and Dan James should have taken advantage of a couple of them. To be honest, um, it, I thought Wilson played really really well. He was he was busy, very very busy in the middle there. It was slightly more reserved role, I suppose. He was part of a midfield three, the kind of attacking left side of a midfield three. Um, but he was he was able to to dictate a little bit more and get on the get his foot on the ball. And I, I thought it was a really, really good performance from both of them. Um, nice to see nice to see that even though they were on the opposite side to what we normally see them, there was still that link up. They were still in the same positions to uh, to find each other. And and I thought you could see there was that understanding between them throughout the game. So that's nice. Two things I found uh, funny about the Wales game. First of all, was that Harry Wilson stood over all the free kicks, but clearly was never getting a look in above Gareth Bale. The second is like the variety of quality in Wales as like, you've got obviously Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey. And then about 10 minutes from the end, uh, one of the co-commentators said, yeah, I think we might um, need to sub Nico Williams. I think Chris Gunter will be a good option at this point. I was like, Chris Gunter? Yeah. <laughs> How is he still knocking about in international football, potentially qualifying for a World Cup? Um, Peter, uh, uh, um, Peter, on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, Anthony Robinson had a brilliant game against Panama. Two very good uh, assists for him in a 5-1 win, which means they have all but qualified for the World Cup. I know you two pulled me up on this last week saying they should qualify, but if they yeah, don't qualify right. now, then it would be uh, the shock of all shocks. I think they have to have a six-goal swing and lose uh, to Costa Rica. Um, but yeah, a good performance by by Jedi and uh, nice to see some assists from him. I feel like we haven't had enough of that this season, given how much he gets forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I, th- I think, um, and we talked a little bit about it before, but at the start of the season, we thought under Marco Silva, we're going to see the next step for Anthony Robinson and, and, and really finding that consistency and, and being an attacking fullback, doing what he does best. Um, but it's only been fits and starts. I think it's fair to say it's been very inconsistent. Um, but what he has done, I think, on the international stage, and I'm, I'm sure Jack will be able to add a little bit more colour than, than I can at this point, but he's really established himself as the US's main left-back. Not that there's that much competition. I know Serginio Desk has played there, but that's not his position. Um, but it's his his role, and it wasn't always like that. Um, even at the start of this qualifying, um, it was a lot more, there was a lot more questions about him, and he, he's been able to take that position and make it his own. And I think that maybe there is an element, obviously it's a very different type of game, isn't it, international football, and, and certainly in CONCACAF, but um, a much more transitional game um much more direct and can really use his physicality and which is what he's what he's good at. He's an athletic fullback. Um still not perfect, still got those those rough edges, uh, which we can all see at Fulham. And I think, you know, we, we can all see he's got the, the blocks there to be a good left back. And it's just about finding that consistency, that technical consistency as well. You know, Fulham Fulham have seen a lot of the ball this season and maybe that doesn't suit him. And, may, and maybe you could make a point that in in, in a counter attacking team we might get a bit more of him being able to break forward using that pace, carrying the ball um, and then delivering as well. And as you say, Sammy, the two great assists, a really good performance and he seems to have settled in really well on the international stage and that's only can only be a good thing uh, for Fulham. Yeah, obviously the two assists um, in the Panama game are going to get the headlines, but actually perhaps just as important was his display against Mexico. Um US went to the Azteca and as we spoke about last week, it's been an absolute hellhole for them to go to. They haven't won there, I don't think ever, to be perfectly honest with you. Mexico were breathing down their necks on the table. I was a bit concerned about this because of what happened, obviously, in the qualification process in 2017 and the fact that the US shat the bed, basically. Um, and, and they had to go to the Azteca and then they had Panama after it. And if they'd lost to Mexico, P- Panama would have been three points behind them. Now, they've gone and got that really all-important point and a clean sheet at the Azteca. Now, this isn't the strongest Mexico side in history, I'll be honest, but equally, Anthony Robinson played really well up against Jesus Corona, who plays for Sevilla. He had um, George Sanchez, who plays for Atlas, I think, um, running down that flank. Um, and then uh, Alexis Vega, who's Guadalajara's winger, came on and, uh, and ran at him. And, and look, these are teams that people probably aren't that familiar with, but they're very, very good players. Um, I, I really like Alexis Vega. I don't think it's going to be 
um, too long before he gets a he gets a big move. So. Um, you know these are these are you know serious players, uh, and Robertson held his own defensively and offensively going down that flank. Um, and I was really really impressed with him. And then obviously you go to the panel game, gets forward a bit more, he gets able you know that ability to break to transition a little bit further. He gets those two assists. He picks out Ariola for a header, um, not that Ariola. Um, for, for he's the smallest man on the park. Um, so, so to pick him out with with that first cross is uh, is quite special, to be honest. It's a very, very good ball, and I did see a couple of responses in the in the Twitter replies saying, well, "If you can find the smallest man in the park, why can't he find Alexander Mitrovic a bit more? He's huge." Um, but but ultimately, you know, you can see Robinson is so comfortable in that position for America. Like you say, Peter, Serginio Des can play there. DeAndre Yedlin can play there. They don't hugely. Um, it's Robinson's spot, and it'll be Robinson's spot at the World Cup, bar something drastically changing or some sort of, you know, touch wood. This doesn't happen. Any sort of serious injury. So um, he's trusted by Greg Berhalter. He's trusted by Marco Silva at Fulham. Um, we've seen that this year that he continues to be picked despite the fa- fan, you know, frustration, etc. Times, um, and I think you know that speaks volumes about what these coaches see in Anthony Robinson, that ability to transition, that ability to carry the ball. Um, and, I, and I do think there's something in that, 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 you know, people maybe aren't seeing as much that if these two coaches, especially Silva, who has options there, see something in Robinson that he doesn't see in any other players that he have in that capacity, um, there's something to be believed in. And, and, and Greg Berhalter clearly feels the same. Mary Rodak, by the way, had a good performance for Slovakia. It was a 2-0 defeat to Norway. Um, but actually, I think that uh, from a lot of what I saw um, in the highlights, Marek Rodak definitely had a strong performance in that one. The last player I really wanted to talk about, though, Jack, was Fabio Carvalho. Opened mm. his account for the Portugal under-21s in their European qualifier against Greece. It was a 4-0 win for Portugal. So he's got his first caps for the under-21s. He's now his first goal. Um, the stars are aligning for young Fabio as we probably expected they would. Yeah, he got the assist as well for Fabio Silva's goal. So it was it was a case of the three Fabios for um, for Portugal under twenty ones. Fabio Carvalho, triple Fabio, Fabio Carvalho, Fabio Silva who um, plays for Wolves, and Fabio, Fabio Vieira who plays uh, for Porto. Um, but the three of them, to be honest, Carvalho ran the show. For the first for the first forty five minutes, he absolutely dominated this game. He was sensational um, from from where he played, and I was really really impressed. Um, I got back. I didn't watch this live. I got back and watched it last night, and I was so so impressed by Fabio's first forty five. He was, you know, to, to walk in into a new camp where a lot of the players have played together for a long period of time, and you actually see this in Portugal more than most places because almost all of a youth cohort will come from one of the big three academies. Um, and, and to be honest, mostly Porto and Benfica. And it, it does feel like there's the cohort here. And look, Fabio Vieira and Fabio Silva would have played together at, at, at Porto and Portugal unders level before. They have that kind of connection. You're seeing these you know, players come through and think, right, okay, that how is someone new who has never played at all with these players who comes from a different football upbringing from a different stylistic kind of nature how is he going to slide into this side and he has slid in effortlessly um he has been so 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 good and i think ultimately when when you look at a performance like that they're the ones you can look at the response to him on twitter from from portugal fans was just get this bloke in the cellar in the cellar style straight away people are saying get him in the senior setup um and when this is a senior setup that involves the likes of bruno Fernandes, bernardo silva diego jota Jar Felix in those kind of roles, you're looking at someone who's who's very very special, and he, he demonstrated it again on on this stage. And I think it is only a matter of time. The news came broke yesterday that apparently Liverpool and Fulham have agreed terms over this transfer in the summer. Um, that neither team wants it to go to a tribunal. I, I don't know quite how how reliable those sources are, but it was being reported in a lot of places. Um, if that's true. Well, obviously, we're, it's a resigned to, to to lose, but uh, but but ultimately, when you watch someone who's come through your academy star like this for a side packed with talent, this Portugal underside, they are absolutely stacked from top to bottom with wonderful, wonderful players. Um, it was so lovely to see Fabio in there and just being the star boy in a team full of star boys. Yeah. So, by my counting, Peter, 
we have potentially four Fulham players as it stands at the 2022 World Cup. You've got Mitrovic, who's already qualified. You've got Anthony Robinson, who is all but qualified and probably will have uh, by the time that you listen to this podcast. And then you've got Nico Williams and Harry Wilson. Of course, Nico might not be a Fulham player next year, but it seems linked, who are one win away for Wales at home uh, from the World Cup, either against Scotland or Ukraine, whenever that game gets played. Who knows? Uh, you've and missed one. Sorry. Who have I missed? Uh, you missed Andrew Frangzambo and Gisers. Mm, he's uh, still on the books. Qualified, qualified with Cameroon yesterday in unbelievable I, circumstances. I knew there would be one when I said this out loud that would <laughs> catch me out. But of course, Peter, the the potential sixth, if he's still here next year, could be Fabio Carvalho if he could break into that Portugal squad for the for Christmas. Is there any chance? Do you think that's a real long shot? That's a big long shot. Yeah, it's a talented squad, isn't it? I mean, you're thinking of the players he's got to compete with. But, but you know, we've seen how quickly Fabio Carvalho has gone from under 23 to Premier League player to key player and uh, championship winning side linked with all of the biggest clubs in Europe, pretty much. Um, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, write him off. I wouldn't bet against it. But my God, he'd, he'd need to have a, he'd have to maintain quite an explosive run of form, I think, to to push push through because it is Portugal you know look at their depth especially in attacking areas you know Jack mentioned it a bit but you know Bruno Fernandes but Bernardo Silva you know Jogo Jota I mean it's Joao Felix it's uh, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's a talented group so maybe 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 we will maybe we will and of course whether he's actually a full and player by that point is another question too uh, Peter, this morning, uh, Fulham published their 2020-21 uh, accounts. Um, if you want a good read of it, as ever, Kieran Maguire, Price of Football, uh, is pretty much always the man to go to for this. And it's him that kind of published it on Twitter. And I imagined if you've seen it, you'll have seen it probably from Kieran's tweets. Uh, revenue doubling, uh, but losses doubling as well. Um, a total loss uh, of Fulham Football Leisure Limited since 1997 of £493 million. Um, pretty eye-watering. Um, there's some numbers in there of transfers where we've spent £51 million. These accounts, um, I, to be honest, I'm a bit desensitised to Fulham posting eye-watering accounts. It's something I've got quite used to over the years. But even by Fulham standards, these accounts were you know, fairly, um, fairly high. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think it's the biggest loss under Shahid Khan. Um, I mean, it's not unusual at the moment. I think we're seeing that with all the club's accounts that we're, we're sort, of, sort of seeing the uh, implications of COVID-19, which, which did have its impact. But I think actually looking at what's behind the extent of Fulham's loss, so loss of 93 million pounds, um, a lot of it is um, one that the wage bill they had in the Premier League, uh, and then also some of the amortised fees from from previous transfers still filtering through, and you know that that is the the, the 2018-19 predominantly. Obviously, there were additions in in the Championship and in the Premier League too um, last in the summer of 2020. So that's that's where the bulk of it's come from. But yeah, no, it's it, it's a big loss, um, and it's it's been swallowed up by Shahid Khan again. Um, the accounts detail that he put in 151 million. Um, in the last accounting period, and then a further 93 million after June 2021, um, and then of course you've got the Riverside stand as well, which was another 60 million pound cost according to according to the accounts. The accounts. So um, yeah, I can see I can see why you become desensitized, desensitized, Sammy, because you know it's been consistent. I don't think she can't under uh, during his time um, at Fulham has has been able to post a profit. Um, as if, uh, which isn't really a surprise, in, in I guess in, in football terms. But no, it's 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 become steeper, and you can see why there was the financial fair play stepping around, stepping over uh, heels sort of approach last summer. I mean, even so, the fifty-one million is a lot. But when you when you do think about it, you think about you know you've got include knockouts fee in there, then there's Harrison Reed, Tosin, all the loan fees. Um, Tosin wasn't very much actually. Um, Terence Congolo. Um, and it does does sort of creep up, but it was it was the amortised fees that are still still coming through the account, still still processing. You know, Seri and Gisa Mawson, um, that that's that's taken the the uh, the loss so high. But um, yeah, in terms in terms of where Fulham are at, and I, I guess it's the same thing said every year when you look at the accounts. It's that you know it's Shahid Khan is absolutely vital to 
and, and this funding remains key to operating the way that Fulham are. I mean, Jack, we're at 10 years now of the Khan's ownership. Uh, according to Cottage Analytica on Twitter, um, he said that the um, losses of Fulham um, were 202 million when the Khans took over. It's now at 493. So the Khans' losses exceed Al Fayed's losses. The money that they've pumped into this is enormous. And, you know, we had that chat last week about ticket prices, and we, I think, correctly um, called out that £1,000 is a ludicrous amount of money for a stand. But. The Khan family, Shahid Khan, have pumped in so much money. And still at this point, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I still can't imagine how many years away it is from what his ultimate aim was, which was to create a sustainable football club. Do you get sustainable football clubs these days that can really compete at the top level? Um, Ajax? <laughs> the... It's a funny one, isn't it? the the model The model of sustainability suggests conceptually, right, the idea that you have you have to produce talent and sell it on. Um, you become that. That's how you become a sustainable club in 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 principle, right? Um, but no one likes that because it means that you're selling your best players and you're selling your academy graduates and you're selling your there there has to be something in the the way that the Fulham model has slightly changed, I think, of late. And you look at someone like Tosin and think, okay, you know, that you know, we if we if we sold Tosin for twenty million and we bought him for one point six, you'd be upset because you'd be losing a key cog, and I don't think we're going to sell Tosin. But if you did, that's that's how you become a sustainable football club, right? That's the that's the model. And, and and then if you if you're looking at it like that, you know how do you then go and progress? You have to you have to become good. At, you have to develop an incredible scouting network. You have to be able to pick up gems off the market. The only way of you know becoming a sustainable football club in that regard is, is kind of moneyballing it, right? Is is by buying players who are undervalued and selling them on when big fees come in for them. Um, now Fulham are trying to set themselves up as a, as a club who can stay in the Premier League, who can compete, who can kick on up the table, who are able to, you know, hopefully in, in a couple of years' time, you know, three or four years in the Premier League and suddenly you go, okay, can we move into a top 10 team for a little while? Can we can we start to compete at the low edge of that of that top 10? That's, you know, that's sustainability in footballing senses. Can you do that whilst selling on your best players for profits? I, I, yes, you can, but it's incredibly difficult. Um, and you need to continue to, you need to, you know, the system can't have a year out. You can't have a year where you don't pick up the right players because it, it's it's costly. It's you know it's often it's often fatal. Um, and that's the interesting bit going into this kind of next period, I suppose, of, of the of the Khan's ownership is that if we're going to go and try and compete and survive in the Premier League, how do you do that whilst not incurring, you know, unbelievable losses? Um, it's a bit of a catch-22, to be honest. It's, it's a little bit Sophie's choice. I mean, Peter, I've read these accounts and did wonder, you know, is this maybe Fulham trying to get some of the negative numbers out the way whilst we're in the Premier League, whilst the sanctions in the Premier League for financial fair play, or more to the point, the tightness of the rules is a little bit laxer. You've got a bit more to play with. Obviously, a big part of that loss was infrastructure, which you'd imagine a lot of it is the Riverside stand. Is there a way of reading through these accounts and thinking, okay, this might potentially be the nadir of Fulham's accounts if they can go on, on an assumption and stay in the Premier League for a few years? Yeah, you'll have to bear with me because I've only been going through them this morning. But I think, yes, fundamentally, and I think based on what Jack was saying, um, and it does seem like you, you could make the claim it's an, an, the nadir of the accounts because you've got... Um, you've got payments going out and you haven't really got very much going in. You haven't got players being sold. So there isn't that other side to it at the moment. It's just expenditure. And that, that's what's causing these losses. It's that expenditure, one, to stay in the Premier League and also to try and get there. Um, there, there are different ways of doing it. I mean, it seems like, you know, and it's, it's evident that from the expenditure that the Khans have been trying to get Fulham into the Premier League by spending a lot of money and spending it now and getting it getting there rather than 
taking say what, what QPR have done and and taking their time with it, which is which is very difficult. It's a very difficult way of doing it when you're competing with clubs with, with parachute payments and and the like. Um, so yes, potentially. I mean, it's sort of an unknown, I guess, because we don't know how Fulham would operate once they've had a season in the Premier League and they stay there under the cards. We just we don't we don't really know. Does that change how they approach it? Do they streamline things? Um, we can we've talked about as Jack was saying that there is a sort of change in the demographic the, the age group of players that they're they're bringing in where there is that room for growth where there is that room for a resale um, and that to be honest it has that's the only way you can really be sustainable I mean that that's for a club of Fulham size you know and you're you're trying to navigate FFP you you can't spend ridiculous sums without finding other alternative sources of revenue and Fulham aren't really going to do that now the idea behind the Riverside stand is that it would do that. Um, we won't know how well that we'll be able to do that until until that's operational, and obviously it's been delayed again. So again, we'll, we'll have to wait. So it's now it's a difficult one, and I think, but I think going back to what you you were asking and whether it could be like the, the nadir of the accounts, you know, you need to go through this bad spell to get to a better better period. Then sure, the accounts look will look better if you're consistently in the Premier League because in the Premier League you get a lot of television money. And you'll see from these accounts that over 90% of Fulham's income came from, from broadcasting. And when you actually look at that in terms of wages, it's like you know nearly 98% of Fulham's revenue went on wages. So, you know, it's massive. It's a, it's a massive thing. Um, and then, then, then maybe you see a difference. But, but right now you're going to get accounts like this. And, and to be honest, it's, you know, and there's still the element of 2018-19, you know, and it's, and We'll just again, if Fulham can get up and get stay, then then maybe we'll get a, a better picture. But it's it's not easy, and you, you've got to get it right, unfortunately, if you want to, to try and be that sustainable club when you are when you're dealing with the, the parameters that Fulham have got. And to be honest, it's, if Shikhi Khan keeps paying it, it's, it's the same same when I was covering Bournemouth with, with Maxim Dem and their owner. If the owner remains committed and is willing to offset these losses, then it's not not an issue. But you know, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure whether the Khans would want to keep. Losing that much money, you know, is is a different question because it is a lot of money, as you said. It's it's now in 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 figures. It's it's more than it's more than what Mohamed Al Fayed put in um, during his time. So it was slightly it's slightly different game now. To be fair, it is, and and you got to, and you got to factor in inflation. Um, you got to factor well. in inflation and and the Neymar fallacy, or or as I like to call it, the James Tompkins fallacy. Like, there's no way before the Neymar transfer that James Tompkins is worth. 15 million pounds he's worth like six and then yeah. suddenly everyone's transfer value is just inflated by about three yeah. times just by the fact that the the upper cordon has gone up so much 100 um, so. and, and inflation's a big one as well but either way if you're getting away from it it's a lot of money to just write off so um yeah that that's that's the picture anyway and and if you get if you are sustaining the premier league then then maybe maybe you have nicer looking numbers but right now they're they're not pretty you could buy one hell of a yacht for quarter of a billion pounds couldn't you I suppose, yeah. It wouldn't be as fun, though. It wouldn't give you so much drama, would it? Well, as long as the boat stays afloat, I guess it wouldn't give you any what, drama. What is the... I don't, all right, I don't Titanic. Really, they all get yachts, don't I? don't really get the appeal of a yacht, but maybe, maybe it's because I've never been on one of any sort. <laughs> I've never been on one, so I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I was like, <laughs> never really like, know. It's like being like, oh, I don't really get the appeal of a private jet. Um, I wouldn't know. I've never been on one, so um, I'll say... Maybe I mean, I can day. get the appeal if someone gave if someone came outside my house and had a free massive j- uh, yacht for me, all expenses paid. I'd probably go like, yes. Yeah, I'd probably sell it though. I'd probably be like, cool, stick that on eBay. <laughs> hundred bit, hundred bill. Yeah, get some bills. Okay, well, for more analysis of Fulham's accounts, Peter will be publishing an article on the Athletic UK in the coming days. He'll have the abacus out, uh, doing all the calculations necessary to uh, to write up something on there. But in the in here and now, check out Kieran Maguire on Twitter at Price of Football. No. Check out Kieran Maguire on Twitter, The Price of Football, and uh, you'll get all the analysis you need in the short term. Right, we'll take a break there, and afterwards we'll look ahead to Saturday's West London derby. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Just to say that tickets for the Fulhamish live on Sunday, the 10th of April, straight after the Coventry game are going fast, still on sale, a few left. And I mean a few 
few left. Special guests include Charlie Cooper and Peter Rutzler, who texted me on Sunday, fuming that he was called a special guest alongside Charlie Cooper. Very humble of him, but we my, all know My brother facade. said this to me. My brother was like, I think it's a bit cheeky putting Peter on as a special guest, considering he's, he's on the pod every week. I was going to say, he's not that special, is it? I think you're a special guest. You're not the, compared you're the, to Charlie. I mean, come on. You're the head Fulham journalism honcho. Like head only. You know. You know. <laughs> hey, Cam Ramsey, have a word about that. Yeah, exactly. Peter, don't put yourself down. You are a special guest. Anyway, if you want to come along and see special guest Peter and a few others, go to <laughs> tickets.halfmoon.co.uk. We'd love to see you there. All profits going to the DEC's Ukraine Humanitarian Fund. Let's look ahead then to Saturday against Queen's Park Rangers. And Jack, it's been a tough time for the hoops up the road, I think. Yeah. Even a few months ago, we thought they might be automatic promotion challengers. Right now, it is a battle to stay in the top six. A defeat to Peterborough last time out. Some key injuries as well. Um, In theory, it's a good time to be going to Loftus Road. But of course... We know that derbies aren't always played on paper. Yeah, logic logic doesn't work in derbies. So you do that. I've, I got sent this by my uncle yesterday. He supports QPR. He said, QPR have only won two of the last 18 matches against Fulham. QPR are currently on a run of seven matches without a win in this head-to-head, including losing the last four in a row. And they've never lost five matches in a row against Fulham, so could set a new unwanted record on Saturday. To which I replied, Why? To which I replied, 1-0 win to you lot then. Yeah, it, it, it does. It was on paper. I think... Chris Willock is a massive loss, man. Like, I, I think he's an incredible player. I think he's, he, is, he is a huge loss um, to that side. It, it does feel a little bit like they're a, a tad all over the place. Um, obviously, they'll have had the this 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 space to regroup and um this you know the time that Fulham needed as well to to, to regroup and reset and and work out how they're going to you know attack this one um but I do think going to Loftus Road probably suits us. They need to win. Like this is the thing now. There, there's no, there's no space in the, in the table left here for QPR to be picking up random points. You know, it, even though on paper a, a point against the league leaders and your local rivals is a good point, they kind of can't afford it. They haven't got the space in here. They've got you know, fifty nine points, which means they're eighth. But Forest below them have got two games in hand and are only a point below. Um, and Borough, who are above them have played a game less and are on 59. So QPR and Blackburn, I think, to be honest, but, you know, talking specifically about QPR, are kind of in trouble here. They need to pick up wins and and kind of a couple of against the cuff, against the grain wins, I think, if they are going to propel themselves into this conversation again. Um, because right now I have them as rank outsiders. And I completely, you know, at the start of the season, I called them as, as, as winning the playoffs. Then earlier on this year, I was like, you know what? Why not? They, they feel like they had a real togetherness about them. The squad felt very tight-knit. They were moving in the right directions. Right now, I think it's going to take something very special to get them into the playoffs whatsoever. Um, so make of that, I suppose, what you will. Um, it's obviously not played on paper. As you say, it's a derby. <laughs> Things kind of go out the window. But I think the fact that they're going to have to come and go for us, especially at home, is probably going to play in our favour. Yeah, fingers crossed that it does. Um, Peter, the squad have had a long time off, um, two and a half week break. I imagine that the players um, were given a bit of holiday time at first, but they did play a behind closed doors game uh, against Watford um, at the weekend. A 1-0 win for Fulham, I believe. So you'd imagine preparations now back in full swing and with a few internationals returning imminently uh, I guess Anthony Robinson is the only one who you might think is a doubt because of his international action he plays Thursday morning UK time so that's a pretty tight window for him to get back but he has done it before and, and played yeah I mean he will if he plays against Costa Rica which I'm sure he will there'll be three games in that time frame as well so I'd be surprised but yeah as, as we've talked about before you know it's, he's he's come into the team and and and, and, and played um Nathan Cabana maybe another. Um, obviously, driving back not too too far as he's in, was in Casablanca in, in Morocco, so um, he should be all right. But yeah, no, all focus now on on the weekend, as you said, a few days off, then uh, friendly at, uh, at Watford. Um, Bobby Decker over Reed scored the goal. He wasn't in the latest Jamaica squad. Not actually sure why. I didn't wasn't able to work that out. But um, either way, that means he's he's been around. And yeah, the focus now is very much on going to QPR and getting into that 
run of games. It's 12 points, isn't it, to absolutely guarantee promotion. Yeah. So, um, you know, it starts 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 at Loftus Road. And as Jack says, they, they need to win. It's, it's become that quite competitive thing now <laughs> with multiple clubs um, trying to, to catch to catch Bournemouth, but also secure that their playoff spots. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I feel Fulham are in a good position coming into this. We've seen that, as we've seen throughout the season, they seem to go in these periods where they can put in some fantastic performances, blitz teams, and then just sort of pause and then go again. And, and we've seen the last time they've come back off a break. It went very, very well indeed. So um, another another good another good response would, would, would certainly not go amiss. And I'm sure... I'm sure Marcus ever want to respond. He didn't seem like the type who wanted to sit and and dwell on a uh, on a defeat before before a pause. So um, up and running, and it will be interesting to see how much he rotates. Of course, seeing as uh, that became very topical at the end of the last run of games, and um, in, in, as well as uh, for those coming back from international duty and uh, a tough run of games for Fulham Jack we've obviously got this QPR game on Saturday then it's a trip to the Riverside to face Middlesbrough who have been brilliant at home this season um, been stuttering away but their form at the Riverside is pretty impressive then home against Coventry and it is now just a case of how soon can Fulham get across that line and get top two sealed with before then probably realigning things to the title, isn't it? The maximum amount of points that any other team um, third and below can get is 88. I believe that is Forrest that can get 88. Luton can get 87. Fulham on 78 at the moment. So you'd imagine that maybe Coventry, potentially Derby is the game now. I think previously we were even hoping that this game against QPR could be a promotion game. I think that must be impossible. I haven't done the maths on it. Even Middlesbrough is very difficult. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of games here to, to keep an eye on. Um, obviously, Forest have to go to Blackpool, um, which, as we well know, is no easy feat. Um, yeah. Although they'll feel they'll fancy themselves after a couple of very very good performances. Um, they play Coventry next, right? So th- there's a couple of games here where you keep an eye on Forest fixtures. Now we're keeping an eye on Luton's fixtures. Now um, they have they host Millwall, which you'd imagine would be relatively tasty. Um, and and, and that, that's the kind of one you've got to keep an eye on Huddersfield. Um, they go to Hull. They should probably win that, you'd imagine. That's the Friday night game. So um, we'll know the outcome of that one before it all happens. But yeah, it's as much in everyone else's court as ours now, right? In terms of the, the kind of good news about this this 12-point gap and why it's not necessarily four. I mean, obviously four wins does the job and that's how Fulham will be hoping to seal it. Um, but it could be far less than that if everyone else drops points and everyone has been dropping points, to be perfectly honest with you. And there's a couple of games here in the next three or four where some of the top seven are playing each other, um, where teams are, you know, have to have to face off against each other and, and you've got people you know, kind of chasing that second spot in, in the likes of Luton and Huddersfield, even if they are a wee bit far off, um, against people like QPR and, and, and the like who are chasing that last playoff spot. And that's going to make some pretty interesting matchups and some pretty high-intensity, high-stakes games, um, which means that this can still all change in terms of who's below us picking up points. Um, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we haven't had too many Friday, uh, Saturday 3 o'clock, so to be actually playing at the same time as everyone else and watching the scores roll in live at the same time is going to be fun. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's see how we go. Yeah, one of those games that very surprising it wasn't uh, picked for TV. I think we were all expecting this to be a Saturday lunchtime or a Friday night one. Similarly, the Bournemouth game in April hasn't been selected for TV either, which I thought was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen from a TV schedule. Um, First versus second and Sky have gone, nah, we'll show Luton Blackpool, please. But hey, a trip to the South Coast Saturday, 3 p.m., uh, Dreamy. We'd be complaining the other way around, so we, we can't complain this no, way. No, 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 not, not complaining. Surprised, but certainly not complaining. Uh, before we do correspondence and emails, uh, Peter, I thought you might want to talk about your latest piece, which is in The Athletic. You can read that now by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Fulham pod if you'd like to sign up. All about uh, an infamous man at Fulham, Felix McGath. Uh, the man that took Fulham down from the Premier League first time around uh, with his crazy tactics nearly kept us up, in fairness. Uh, the German firefighter who couldn't quite um, set out Fulham's blaze. Um, his crazy techniques, the cheese on the knee, all included uh, in this piece. And of course, the reason behind the piece is that he's back in management. Yes, he's back. He's he's uh, he's taken over at Hertha Berlin um, alongside uh, Mark Fotheringham. 
um, formerly of, of of this parish. Not, well, no, sorry, not this parish. Yeah, has he been on Fulhamish? Uh, not to my knowledge, unless he was on a podcast that I wasn't part he's of. Been no, men- he's been mentioned a few times, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, he's not been a guest. I mean, he's more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, a guest for the future, definitely. Um, yeah, he's back, he's back here to um, task with keeping them up, obviously. They started well, didn't they? They won 3-0 uh, with, with McGat. Um Magat uh, sidelined by COVID, but yes, no, a piece with with Kit Holden, um, who's been doing some excellent stuff for us on on the Bundesliga, and um, it sort of details the the politics that's been going on at, at Hertha and how they've ended up in a position where they've uh, brought Magat back to to the Bundesliga for the first time in uh, longer than a decade. So um, yeah, there's uh, reflections from from Breda Hangeland, some some snippets from from William Kavis book, and just putting it all in. In one place, to be honest, you all know about the cheese, but uh, a little bit more besides as well. Um, so uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely worth a read. And then also, obviously, looking at some of the, the young lads who who got a uh, got their chance under McGat, Cameron Burgess, who's now at Ipswich, had a chat with him for this piece, and it's it is interesting. He seems like a coach who, with experienced players, um, really does rub up against the wall, and then with the younger ones, they're less likely to to complain. I'd say. Um, and, uh, but he did give some opportunities. But yes, it's definitely worth, uh, if you can bear it, I suppose, going back yeah. in and, and uh, reliving some of the, uh, the interesting events. I enjoyed, no, sorry, no, sorry. I enjoyed the piece, Peter. I really did. I know it's a little bit morbid fascination to go back to that weird time of supporting Fulham. And slightly unpopular opinion, I don't think he was a terrible appointment at the time. What I think was the mistake, and Jack, you might disagree with me on this, was keeping him then for the championship. Once he'd failed, his if he'd have gone in there and a, a kind of alternative Sam Allardyce, keep this Fulham side in the Premier League, I kind of bought into it. I was like, at that point, we needed saving. We were an absolute car crash. And I'm not sure Renny Merlinstein was going to keep us up, yeah, despite see, a couple I, of impressive I was, performances. I was pretty convinced that Renny Merlinstein might have done all right. Um, look, it's easy right. to say all this in hindsight, isn't it? Like, it, it, you know, we don't know. We don't. But it did feel like things were turning around a little bit under under Merlinstein. Um, you know, we we had a couple of good results. We beat Villa two 0 I remember just before Christmas, and then wasn't there two really good performances? Two that we really good performances just against before, United and Li- against, against United, United and Liverpool. Liverpool just be- and then he was sacked four days later, and uh, I don't know. Look, I mean, it's, the fact that since he has left Fulham, he did six months in charge of Maccabi Haifa, and then I think he he basically spent six months with the Kerala Blasters in India. Um, he wasn't doing great. I think he's now Australia, to be honest, because he's the assistant manager. And, and to be honest, the Socceroos are an absolute shambles. So um, I, I don't necessarily think that maybe this was the right thing. But I did think at the time, with the core of players that we had, they seemed to like Merlinstein and he, he seemed to be getting some sort of tune out of them. I, I still think I would have probably kept him on, but I, I can completely see where you're coming from, something. Yeah, I just think that McGaff got us pretty close. And if we didn't collapse... In spectacular fashion, that one game against Hull where we're 2-0 up, three games to go. I think he keeps us up that season. And I think we all think that Felix McGat. I think we all view Felix McGat differently. Again, even if he'd have kept us up, I would have said he was not a man to keep you going. And why we thought once he'd got us relegated, he was the man to get us out of the championship was a ludicrous decision um, at the time. And, you know, it set us back so many years, all the way nearly to League One, what he'd done to that squad by the end. But yeah, a fascinating man who is central to recent Fulham history in my mind good or bad Felix Magat um, shapes the future of, of Fulham football for better club. or for worse yeah in many ways right we'll take a break there and then we've got some correspondence and this will catch on part three of the Fulhamish podcast with Sammy Jack and Peter let's get into some of your questions uh, we've got a bit of a longer section today uh, to get into some of them so thank you for that um, as a new thing on Fulhamish in conjunction with our telegram community that we have I want to be taking some questions via voice memo we've never really done this before I've always thought it was a good idea and so if you are signed up to the Fulhamish community all the details are on our website 
um, then we're going to be accepting voice questions from now on. But the fact that the Telegram makes it so easy for you to send one in makes it really great for the podcast. And we're kicking it off today uh, with Joe CB, who has sent in a question, ironically, about centre-backs. Hi, Fulhamish. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about what you think we should do about our centre-back problem, because I believe we've only got one starting centre-back in Tosin. I don't think Tim Ream is good enough, but I think he's good enough to be around the dressing room. I think he's a top leader. Congolo, Mawson and Hector, we can't rely on them. I'm slightly worried about that, so who should we look out for? In my opinion, I think maybe James Talkowski. But yeah, I'd just love to know your thoughts. Jack, your thoughts on uh, Fulham's centre-back recruitment uh, in the summer? Yeah, definitely need one, maybe two. Um, it, it depends how Marcus Silva sees his backup centre-backs, if he's happy there with with the likes of Michael Hector and, and Alfie Mawson. Now, we saw them, uh, we saw especially Michael Hector, you know, kind of struggle big time in the in the Premier League. I don't think necessarily even just on the pitch, but also with, with what was going on off it and, and the way that it all transpired. Um he seems to be a happier member of this camp now, um, which is nice to see, and obviously good to see some, you know, someone speak out about how it can be a struggle sometimes. I'd love to see Alfie Mawson move onwards, but I just can't see it happening at this point. So I assume that Fulham are going to need one, at least one starting centre back, and maybe a maybe a rotation piece. There's been links with Alessio Romagnoli, who is at Milan. Um, oh, I haven't seen that. I'll be honest with you, I hate them. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely cannot stand this as a rumour. Um, Romagnoli at one point looked like he was going to be the best, one of the best centre-backs in the game. And I absolutely, at that point, especially when he was at Roma, was you know really, really, really exciting in terms of how he played. Since then, he's done his knee like three times. Um, he's basically got one hip. Um, he can't turn and he has no recovery pace. And I think he would be found out very, very quickly in the Premier League. To be honest, the fact that he's now Milan's fourth choice centre-back, I think almost speaks for itself. I think Lazio are going to throw loads of money at him anyway, so I don't think this is going to be a problem. Um, But there were links to Fulham and I did not like them at all. Um, I do not think buying someone with that kind of injury history uh, and bringing them in to be your starting centre-back, good as he is when he's on form um, and, and as lovely as his passing range is, I think it's too much of a risk. The player that I would be buying if I was Fulham or at least trying to get involved with is Glyson Bremer, who plays for Torino. Um, we've been linked with him a couple of times. Um, this year, I think, for Torino, he's, he's made this step up. Um, he's been there since 2018 and there's been ups and downs of this. Um, but he really has... Um, he really has kind of risen to the task this year. And I'd be very surprised if there's not interest in him at the top end of Serie A. But if there isn't, uh, and he's open to a move to the Premier League, I think he would be an absolutely sensational pickup. Um, uh, someone who would slot into this Fulham team, who is an unbelievable defender, but also able to you know get the ball and work it out from the back. Um, we've, again, we've been linked with him before. I think he's got one year left on his contract after this year, which means there might be a possibility to get in a, a reduced deal. Um, if we could snip in ahead of anyone else there and, and game, I think Bryson Bremer would be an unbelievable, unbelievable signing. Um, one player I did think about that could be a realistic option, Peter, Levi Colwell from Sanctions FC, done amazingly for Huddersfield this year. Feels like he's got a, a big future. If we need a kind of temporary stopgap, that could be an option. But of course, I feel like a loan from up the road might not be popular after what happened uh, last season. No, maybe, maybe maybe that might have a bearing on the on, on the thinking. But um, no, it's, it's it's definitely a position I think Fulham will want to look at. I think I wrote I think I wrote previously that um, that was something they was on the list for the for last summer, but not something that was felt to be that impendingly necessary and not surprising considering considering the the, the players have got on the books at the moment. But it's it's an area that could see change. Obviously, Tim Ream's contract, as far as we know, is up this summer. Alfie Mawson's as well. Um, Michael Hector's got an option, I think, uh, but ostensibly up as well. There is that scope potentially to to invest, and I think it is a position that we all want to do. I, I don't disagree with the idea that Totin's probably the main first choice. I think Tim Room's been excellent this season on and off the field, and um, I think keeping around would make would could make sense for another year for sure. Um, you can see sort of his involvement with some of the younger players and, and things like that. It's it's good to have that connection. Um, Potentially Levi Colville, someone with a bit more experience, maybe. It's just the, the problem is the gap, you know. I mean, we, we saw the recruitment last summer and 
they, those were good standard Premier League players. I think it was a good it was a good enough squad to, to stay up, and, and maybe you're looking at a similar kind of caliber. Um, Gleison Bremer was an interesting one. He was someone that Fulham looked at last uh, when when they went up to the Premier League last time. Um, obviously, his, his his stocks increased a lot. I think hasn't it, Jack? Yeah, he's, he's um, a much better player all round now than than he was. But yeah, there's definitely something there. So uh, there were competition for that, but with yeah, without doubt, a, a position that someone someone you'd want you'd want again that profile too if you can. So maybe you know someone with that progression and while also thinking of contingencies in case it goes wrong again. I was just looking at Arsenal squad and, you know, whilst obviously Benjamin White and Gabriel Magalhães have set themselves as the kind of starting two, they've got William Saliba out on loan, who's been excellent at Marseille. They've got Mavropanos out on loan at Stuttgart, who's struggled a bit more. And they've had Pablo Mari out on loan, who I think they will leave. But I think Saliba will come back in and be challenging for a first team place uh, or for a first starting berth, to be honest. Um, which might leave a little gap there in that if Rob Holding might want to to look at his way out, and that wouldn't be one I'd be too averse to. I think he's a good player um, who probably was just chucked in a little bit too high at the deep end. Um, but I, I do think that that would be that kind of pick up, you know, a, a centre-back from a, a top club who's basically fallen down the pecking order as just newer players have come in would be capable of of doing a job for Fulham at the lower end of the Premier League. Um, they're the kind of thing, someone like a, even like a Courtney House a Villa, who's obviously not not being the first choice there. And you'd imagine they will look to strengthen there in the summer. If Courtney House drops down to being their fourth choice centre-back, could you bring him in as, as a kind of Fulham, you know, a, a player who's clearly not going to get Villa into the European places they're targeting, but was more than good enough to keep them in the Premier League the last time out? Maybe that kind of profile of player who has that, you know, I, I don't necessarily buy the whole experience myth in that, you know, Joachim Anderson came in last year and was very, very good without having played much Premier League football. So was Tosin. Um, so I don't necessarily buy the whole, do they need to be Premier League footballers to, to, to come into this Fulham side? But signing someone like a Rob Holding or, you know, we've been linked already with Joe Gomez. I think that might be a little bit outside of Fulham's reach at this point. But if it is possible, then that's an amazing, that'd be an amazing pickup. Those kind of players who are just on the edge of of, of top teams, um, who'd be able to come in and do a real job in a relegation battle, I think would be, would be sensible um, if I was, if that's how I'd be looking at it. Okay, two more questions. Going to start with Miles. Uh, enjoyed this one. He said, hi, question for the podcast. At the end of last season, there was a lot of talk, including on the Fulhamish podcast, about Fulham being a poorly run club. In particular, people called out the club's short-term thinking and poor recruitment in contrast to those geniuses over at Brentford as reasons we have consistently failed to establish ourselves as a Premier League club in recent years. Fast forward to now and things look a bit different. A balanced squad, a progressive manager and optimism that this time we might be able to succeed in the Premier League. He says, what's the truth? Has our success on the pitch... He says, what's the truth? Has our success on the pitch this year paved over the cracks off the pitch? Have the Khans and the management successfully changed things this year and put us on a more sustainable path, whether or not we stay up this season? Or were we all being unfair on the Khans last May? Really enjoy the podcast. He says, enjoy the trip to Wales today, Miles, which clearly shows uh, that he sent this email a few weeks ago. But the question's still very much valid, Jack. Yeah, I, I mean, as usual, the truth's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Um, it, it, there is a massive results bias in this business. It, it, it's ultimately something that that shifts you in, in the wrong direction sometimes. And when things are going well, it's easy to forget that, you know, that some things off the pitch aren't being done well. I still don't think we're there. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think that there's still things to do. I think the club are learning lessons and that's what you can ask for them, right? You can ask that they learn lessons. It looks like the signings, the players that are being brought in are of a, a more sensible nature. They were last time than the first time round, I think. And then they were this time in the championship prepared to the time we went down last time with Scott, with Scott Parker, where we kind of chucked money on Premier League players who had failed to kind of make that step up, if you will, in the likes of, of Knockout and Cavaledo and, and that kind of squad and what we looked at there. I think the recruitment this time has been more sensible, a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more in terms of players who might have a sell on value, all of the above. But I can't still look at what's happening with our contracts in the academy. The fact that we're very plausibly about to lose Fabio Carvalho for, for, for free. And, well, not for free, but for a nominal fee, considering yeah. he looks like a, you know, a world beater. And say that this has all been run really well. I, I can't. It just, yes, the club this year, with a progressive manager and things on the pitch looking better, is in a better state than it was either last year or the last time that we got promoted. 
But I still think there's plenty of work to do before you say this is a well-run club. Um, I, I, I would fail... I would struggle to say that right now all of these things are happening. And look, no one's perfect. So I'm not asking for it to be every single thing works like clockwork every time. There are always going to be things that slip through the cracks. There are always going to be the odd player that you let go, that you go, oh, that was a mistake. It's like, that always happens. That's fine. But I can't look at this academy pipeline and the seeming just that hole in it that people are dropping out of and say this is all going really swimmingly, despite the fact that things are good on the pitch, right? And I think things are improving, so I'll give credit where credit is due. You know, but equally, I still think there's a long way to go before we look at this and go, right, this is all making sense now. It's all starting to flow in the right direction. We're still not there yet. Yeah, I would agree with Jack. You've got the the right sort of building blocks in place are just not knitted together in the right way I think the academy is the best example of that and actually maximizing what you have there you know and they're getting something out of it but for how good it is and how good it's become and you know the credit goes to the investment they put in there and the staff they've got there and the backing that they've got you need to make the most of it you've got, you've got to make sure that you're seeing what better financial return and, and, and also better player return and you know, it all comes back down to, and I know that Jack's right, there is a result bias, but it does come back to where, where they are. And you, you do think, and we talked about that, you know, if they're in the Premier League and if they're a bit more stable, then maybe maybe that pathway gets smoothened out a little bit. Um, but in terms of some of the, the other elements, we can, you know, manager, managerial appointment, um, very good. Um, I think recruitment has got better. Um, I think the, looking at the Premier League recruitment last year, that squad was good enough to stay up. Um and again, you look at the squad they've got now and, and that sort of pattern of players who are younger with more of a resale value and that make more sense. But I guess that will only, we'll only know how effective that is once it plays out. You know, it will be only become really effective once someone does come in for a lower fee and, and get sold for, for more, which we haven't really seen that often from Fulham at all. Um, and it's about, you know, what, what's, what's the overall aim, I suppose. The overall aim is a sustainable Premier League club. And until you get to that point, you know, you, that's when you can assess it. And are we there yet? No. So it's, I, I agree, there are just certainly elements that are going the right way, but there are certainly, certainly other factors that need improving. What will we discuss when we do finally become a sustainable Premier League club that doesn't yo-yo? All the How time? we move we'll, onwards. Yeah. We'll just be a podcast that just sits, sits there and shrugs every week and go that, cool. How's it right? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah, Pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Yeah. Fulham's nice, isn't it? Uh, one final question from GC. Uh, I'll go to you on this one, Jack. He says, hi, Fulhamish. Are Fulham starting to alienate their stable fan base? And this is a lot about the kind of kickoff movements. He said the Easter fixture movements have been a disaster. Derby changed from 3pm to 8pm on the Friday with the last train back just after 10. I expect a lot of fans have chosen this game to make a trip only to find out they've wasted their train fare. Then they moved the Preston North End game to a Tuesday, not for Sky. I expect a lot of Preston fans booked hotels and trains same with a lot of Fulham fans who travel long distances and probably look at the Easter holidays as a trip to organise in advance to get cheap fares then we have the commentary game moved to Sunday for reasons other than Sky and I expect a few fans will have been in the same situation on top of that you have the debacle of the Riverside stand and the pricing of no concessions or variation in seats I wait with interest the pricing and concessions in the other stand are fans being taken for granted and mugged off by the club Fans are taken for granted by pretty much every football club in in the top three, I would say four, maybe four divisions in the UK. Um, so ultimately, it's one of those strange things that, yes, this is bad. Um, and, the, and I think that the, the fixture changes, look, yes, some of them are sky and some of them are fixtures. I, I don't think Fulham are choosing these things. I'll be honest. Oh, see, I but, disagree. I think, it, I, but I think it might be Marco and the team wanting rest and recovery periods which is kind of hard but to I think argue the, isn't I think it? the EFL I think the EFL make those decisions at the end of the day um yes there might be requests the odd one but I don't think you'll look at these and think oh Fulham are requesting all of these things to be changed there, there are there are another major party in every single one of these decisions and it's the opposition right so it's not all going to be Fulham have decided this is what it is and that's how it changes I think fans have been taken for granted for ages. Um, and, and and look, ultimately, you can see these things about about Sky and about the, the championship and about yeah, it doesn't change when you get to the Premier League because fixtures get moved all the time. I mean, being at the bottom of the Premier League does ch- does actually help in that regard because fixtures get moved a little bit less. Um, but you kind of just have to bounce with it. You know, the amount of football, you know, that's not going to change next season in some ways because you'll have to be playing teams who play in the Europa League, the Europa Conference League, the Champions League who want games on an early, on a late, on a Sunday, on a Friday to try and compensate for the fact that they have European commitments. 
ultimately the game is massive now. Like the game, you know, 20 years ago, this wasn't a thing because you didn't have all these midweek fixtures. You didn't have, you know, European commitments quite to the same extent. Things were different in, in that regard. Um, and so it, in some ways it's just a kind of, facet of the modern game I think that you kind of have to bounce with in other ways I completely agree with you I think that fans are, are taken for granted but I don't think it's just Fulham and I don't think there's anything we can really do about it to be perfectly honest with you I, I do think that the, the days where fans had power in clubs unless you're in Germany and you had that German model where the German fans looked at that and went ah, no um, you know they th- those games are gone I don't I don't think I don't think anyone acted in time and we're looking back at it now and going oh we let the fire just rage out of control. We're trying to put it out with buckets of water. Um, the Germans stamped it out of source and now they have control of their football clubs. They're able to hold them to account. Um, ultimately, apathy has led to this point, I'm afraid. And I, I don't think it's going to change. We can rage against the dying of the light as much as we like, but I, I, I don't know if that's going to change. Okay, well, we'll uh, leave that there and we'll move on to the happiest section of the podcast. This will catch on to audio files for you two to devour today. Um, I feel like we're moving into a new transition of this will catch on. It's kind of gone from realistic chants that could be for players to people just creating epic songs um, in their spare time um, for, for us to play. I feel like almost it's getting to the point where I feel like people are colluding behind us back just to wind us up. Uh, and that is very much the theme of today's two submissions. The first one is from Carlino again, sent a few weeks ago, but still very relevant. He says, Hey Sammy, been listening since the beginning and thank you for the 400 plus shows truly has gotten me through some times with a laugh and a special shout out to the Cooper brothers for the hot mics during the pandemic. Wow, that is uh, some retro Fulhamish uh, um, stuff there that we did uh, at the beginning of COVID. Anyway, he says, nothing like a Scotch midday and reworking lyrics of True by Spandau Ballet. Thank you for all the pods. Hope you enjoy from Carlino. So this is a song uh, dedicated to the new cottage pool by (laughs) Carlino to the (laughs) lyrics of True by Spandau Ballet. I got a ticket to the match. We may win 7-0 again The hammy end is where the action's at But I won't be there with my friends And that's the sound of a goal Mitro has scored Yeah, he scored once again But I won't make it back for the limbs I'll just sit down and drink my port wine and soak in the view of the Thames. I'm actually really concerned about Fabulous. The cottage has a pool. The cottage has a pool. Both of you have your head in your hands. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit lost for words. Something Where are we going? Me. Where are we going? You know, what are we doing? I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> we might have to can this. Will catch on. <laughs> this might be the end. This might be the end of the road. It is very end of day stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've that, reached. That was more late night in a bar, wasn't it? Than you know. Hardly, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you could do a harmony on that. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit lost. I'm a bit lost. I'm afraid it was. It was quite good and a nice, rhythmic, nice. But I just, I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, and you know, musically. I mean, there's a couple of things wrong with it musically. It was quite pleasant. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was quite soothing. Kind of ASMR, it which a lot soothing, of them are, yeah. to be fair. I, I don't really know what to say. Like, I, I actually don't. I, I'm a bit lost. It was a bit I, more. I, it was a bit more whiskey than pints. You know, you feel like if you're going to catch on, it needs to be pints, right? Yeah. It, it, I, I don't even think at this point it's this will catch on. That was just a song that he. That was a song about with. Fulham. This will sound great. This yeah, will sound. Great. This will sound great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pick this up with a final This Will Catch On from today. He says, hello, Fulhamish. We'd like to submit what we think is a first on This Will Catch On, a duet. 
We thought that there was a lack of Bobby Decadova Reed songs. I mean, definitely not in the past few weeks, but maybe they sent this a little while ago. So we want to present to you a song for Bobby to smooth criminal. This took us a lot of takes, mainly due to the laughter. We know it won't catch on, but we think a much shorter version could. We hope that you all have as much fun listening to it as we did making it. Huge fans of Fulhamish, and this will catch on in particular. And that's from Matthew and co-writer, in brackets, who for some reason didn't want to put her name to this weird <laughs> right here we go this is quite this is quite something got him from cardiff he hated carlin now he's black and white always got the short sleeves with his gloves on and the goals in sight playing for the fulham for marco silva now we dare to dream with kenny and tossing harry Fabamitro. gonna piss the league bobby decadova bobby decadova decadova read bobby decadova who Bobby Decadova, Decadova Reed, Bobby Decadova, who? Bobby Decadova, Decadova Reed, Bobby Decadova, Bobby Decadova, Decadova Reed. Bobby, are you playing on the left wing with your mate Joe? Or are you rather on the right wing or at wing back? We just got to know, because he plays any position, a magician when he's on the ball. Dribbling round defenders, it's electric when he scores a goal. Do 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 It's been hit by, it's been scored by BD again. Very good. That's very good. I enjoyed that a lot. That was fun. It was very, very good. How, that must have taken them so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really nicely rhythmic as well. Very, very, very in time. Really enjoyed yeah. myself. They did say it took them a lot of takes to do, uh, and you can see why. Matthew and Mystery Co-Writer, thank you for Thanks, the Matthew final. Thanks, Matthew and Mystery Co-Writer. Uh, this will catch on submission today. Any chance of that catching on, Jack? Yeah, you know what? There's, there's something in it, but um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just too long, isn't it? But yeah, they're right in that a shorter version might work. Um Fun though, I enjoyed that. That was good. But that's yeah. perked me up again. I maybe oh, don't. Okay. I maybe don't think that this section has to be canned anymore. Um, <laughs> I think, so. in all seriousness, it's probably got a shelf life of this season, hasn't it? I think it would be a nice thing to leave in the twenty one twenty. We'll leave, we'll leave it in the championship. Shall we? We'll come back to it in twenty two twenty three. It's not um, going to go down quite as well when we've lost five one to Wolves. Yeah, at, no. at Molyneux, is it? But no, absolutely. It, I was thinking though, it does. It does keep you going. It does keep things happening. I was saying to Sammy just before we came on 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 uh, air that. I was this. We were just in a pub the other week, and they were playing "Lost in Music," and I was like, "This song works for Rodrigo Muniz." I was like, "This is, <laughs> this is it. We just got to work out the words." But there is a lot of pauses in it, and the Hammersmith End are famously not good at pauses in songs. They just ignore them. So I, I don't know if you could do "Lost in Music" because there is a lot of like just like six beat pauses in the middle of it. Um, but we'll keep an eye on it. Maybe there's one we'll work in in future. I think we've discovered something that lots of people obviously come up with in their own heads, but just uh, kept to themselves and um, probably regrettably, we've now given them an outlet for platform. It, but, uh, I, I enjoy it. it. It certainly brightens up our week every week on the podcast. Just do keep sending them in. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. We've got a brilliant one for next. Please week, don't send any more about pools. Sorry, Carlito, but like, please. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, we've gone over the edge there. Like an infinity pool, we have gone over the edge and I don't want to go into that world anymore. Um, poor old Carlito. Poor old sorry, Carlito. Carlito. You've, you've, you've incurred my wrath. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, but that really, that really put me in a bad place. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. We might have lost a listener here, but anyway, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday after the QPR game. Uh, George is going to be hosting this one. I'm off on my holidays this weekend, Jack. I'm going to Valencia. Again. I know. I'm a gallivanting man. I'm going to Valencia v Cadiz. On, nice. Uh, that, that is good, to be fair. I'm very, very excited at the Mestaya. Uh, but I will be there on Saturday, but not here for the pod. Uh, so please do tune in then for all the reaction to the West London Derby. Thank you to my guest today, Jack Collins. Thank you, Sammy. And Peter Rutzler. Thank you, Sammy. Have a great weekend. Hopefully, we can win again in the Derby. See you at Loftus Road. Come on, you whites. You whites. Bum,
Raza Poo.